Well, I had the privilege to greet most of you this morning, but those that I, I didn't get to greet. It's a blessing to be together around the scriptures, worship the Lord. It's, it's interesting, as many times as I've sang uh, that the sun is shining bright, I do not know if I've ever looked out a window and actually, actually seen the sun shining, and it was just a blessing to consider uh, just the beauty of the Lord. I've just opened the scriptures this morning, and I'm, I'm looking here at Job chapter 4. We're familiar that uh, Job was a just man, he was upright, he was perfect, he feared the Lord, he eschewed evil, and in a day it was all taken, his family his possessions. His wife said, curse God and die. And he said, you, you speak as a foolish one. He said, should we not receive good and evil at the hand of the Lord? But as time went on, it got a little bit harder than that. And in the, the next chapter, he was, uh, he faced boils. He seemed to still take that humbly. His friends showed up. And then he opened up his heart and complaint. And he couldn't understand why it was so difficult. And here in chapter 4, he has uh, three friends, Eliphaz, the Temanite, and Bildad, and Zophar, and they're going to try to help him make sense. And, and they try to speak in the place of the Lord, and they do it ignorantly. And, and it's a blessing we, we're able to read the entire scripture together. The Lord finally comes. And he speaks and he has his say. And I think it's worth knowing up front. He did not come and he say, you know, Job, what happened is in heaven, the sons of men appeared. Satan came also. And we had this conversation. And he said, if you didn't just set a hedge about Job, he wouldn't really love you and serve you. And so... I said, you touch him. You, you do whatever you want. You don't touch his body. He came back. And he said, skin for skin. And as, as he didn't touch his body, and so that's why he's still serving you. He said, you, you don't take his life, but, but you may touch his body. He never explained that to Job. Job never got to see that. But when, when God comes, it's enough. When the Lord speaks, it's enough to know that he's here. We'll, with the, we'll, we'll just read with the, with the help of the Lord from the fourth chapter and, and, and see what's shared here. It says, Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, If we essay to commune with thee, wilt thou be grieved? But who can withhold himself from speaking? Behold, thou hast instructed many, and thou hast strengthened the weak hands. Thy words have upholden him that was fallen, and thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. But now it has come upon thee, and thou faintest. It toucheth thee, and thou art troubled. Is not this thy fear, thy confidence, thy hope, and the uprightness of thy ways? Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the righteous cut off? Even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. By the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of his nostrils are they consumed. The roaring of the lion and the voice of the fierce lion and the teeth of the young lions are broken. The old lion perisheth for lack of prey, and the stout lion's whelps are scattered abroad. Now a thing was secretly brought to me, and mine ear received a little thereof, and thoughts from the visions of the night when deep sleep falleth on men. Fear came upon me, and trembling which made all my bones to shake. And then a spirit passed before my face, 
the hair of my flesh stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern the form thereof. An image was before mine eyes. There was silence, and I heard a voice saying, Shall mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Behold, he put no trust in his servants. And his angels he charged with folly. How much less in them that dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, which are crushed before the moth. They are destroyed from morning to evening. They perish forever without any regarding it. Doth not their excellency, which is in them, go away? They die, even without wisdom. That concludes the chapter. Maybe we'll, we'll save thoughts for after we sing and, uh, and pray. Well, I've just opened this morning again here in the New Testament. And I'll, I'll probably begin reading here in the 15th verse, John chapter 14. The 15th verse in John chapter 14. And here in this Last Supper evening, we have beautiful words in the, in the Gospel of John, and I don't know if this is accurate, but I've, I've thought of this different times. In the, in the book of in the Gospel of Matthew, we've got three chapters, really, the Lord Jesus is just speaking. We have the Sermon on the Mount. Sometimes we say there are hard sayings there. It's hard to believe the things that Jesus is speaking there. And, and how could we ever do it? <clears throat> and yet, he ends it by saying, you're going to be one of two people. You're, you either hear and you obey, or you hear and you, and you just let it go. And we also look in the Gospel of John here. We have several chapters, and it's just primarily the Lord speaking. And, and there are promises here, and it's hard to believe that this really be true. It's, it's, it, it's hard sayings. It's hard to believe. He tells us earlier in this in the scripture, he says that uh, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works I do, he shall do also, and greater works than these. I, I don't know. That's hard to believe. The greater works that his his people would do, uh, it's it's hard to imagine. And yet, these are the words of the Lord. And he was giving them comfort and encouragement. He told them. He had told them several times, and they had a hard time receiving it. Because one time he, he said to Peter, he said. Uh, I'm going up to Jerusalem, they're going to crucify me. And, and, and he said, not so, really not so, Lord. And he said, get thee behind me, Satan. It, it was the wrong response of Peter. And, and they, they, they wouldn't believe it. And, and here now their hearts are troubled. He's going away, they don't know what that's going to look like. And he's giving them some comfort, and now he's just some instruction and some more comfort for them. And uh, here in the 15th verse, he says, if you love me, Keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth in the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not. Neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while, the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. And at that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. 
Judah saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. And bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. <clears throat> peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You've heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I go unto the Father. For my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass that when it is come to pass, you might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the Prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me but that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. There's a few scriptures before us this morning. And it's interesting, the comfort or the, the counsel that life has gives, he, so much of what the three friends say, possibly for say, is very, very true in the general. And yet it was wholly unsuited for the situation. A life as uh, eventually, much later in the book, winds up, in, and I think just in frustration, he says, you know what it is, Job, you know the sin, and he begins to list off several sins. He says, when you didn't do this, and when you didn't do this, and Job is maintaining his integrity. He says, you know, I... Though he slay me, yet will I trust him, but I'm not going to confess to sin I did not commit. I can't remember if it's Bildad or Zophar later on says, Frankly, Job, you're getting less than you deserve. You're getting less than you deserve. And I'm not sure when to locate the book of Job. The fact that there's not a single appeal to the law makes me wonder if, if we're not looking at uh, pre-Mosaic time. Um, there seems to be a heavy emphasis, um, Job and his friends, on uh, righteousness, especially in the, not necessarily so much in avoidance, but in doing good to the neighbor. And, and so there's it, it, some beautiful thoughts there. But here we have Job wrestling with why all this has happened. He's never experienced anything like this before. And his friends are saying, in the main, if you live a sinful life, here's the fruit. You get bad fruit. And we would agree. We would agree. And yet, in this situation, and in situations we face in life, suffering comes. And too often, we, we want answers to our questions. And Job is really in his question saying, God, what's going on here? I still know you have power, but I really question your goodness. I question your, I know you know everything, but I question your wisdom in all of this. And, and the three friends share, and, and is it Elihu shares, and then now 
there's really nothing more to say. I, think in, in, I guess in 31, maybe the words of Job are ended, then Elihu takes off for um, five or six chapters, and I think it's a chapter 38, God comes and he speaks. And God does not answer one of Job's questions. Instead, he begins to ask Job the questions. Where were you? If you know it all, speak. Have you an arm like God's? And I think, brethren, if we're, if we're in a situation today and there's pain and there's suffering in the days to come, and we don't understand, and it could be a lot of different things. And you've, you've seen yourself there, and I've been there too. And we, we, we start to say foolish things that if I would have just turned the wheel a little the other way, or if we just would have treated this a little bit in a different method a little sooner, or if this person wouldn't have shown up at this time, it wouldn't have been so hard. And those are always the, the wrong thoughts. And I think the Lord, the Lord wants us to stay at that spot where Job was able to get, and I don't know that he was able to remain there, but he, he was able to say, though he slay me yet, will I trust him? And finally when the Lord came and he spoke and the world went. And he helped us see not only does God have the wisdom and the resources, he has the power. That we, we, just, we just find ourselves, we just lay in dust and ashes. And we see God. Some of us, it's hard for us to cut through. I don't know, but I, I feel like we're, we're speaking to some of us here today. Some of us, is, is a pretty thick peel to cut through to get our attention. It's pretty hard for us to see God for who he is. We have our desires. We want to do what God wants us to do. Too. Yes, we do. But, but we still want what we want. And God has to bring us really low. <laughs> and we have to see him and, and we can't fight. And too often when, when we lose things and when we suffer and, and things go wrong and somebody has talked about us and, and, and they shouldn't have done that to us. And we have ways around it. And we know people too. And we take confidence in the wrong things. And just encouragement, brethren, that you can afford. You can afford to be poor in spirit. I can afford to be poor in spirit. We don't need to have great answers for the Eliphaz, for the Bildad, for the Zophar. But we do need to wait on the Lord. We need to hear his voice. We need to know he's present with us. And that's the answer that we need. It's the presence of God. This gives us the confidence not in our, our wisdom or our strength or our numbers or whatever. And what Job didn't have, the Lord Jesus taught us here in John 14. And I wonder, what would have been different? You know, there's something in me that says, wouldn't it be beautiful if, if the Lord just came out of the whirlwind in the confusing time of life? And, and Jesus shares with us this morning he says he's already come. And we can either we can either in our hearts grasp after an experience and say, um, there would be a moment that would be so powerful, and that's what we would really hope for. Or we can every day experience the reality. 
We don't have to lose everything for the Holy Spirit to come. God came in the whirlwind after a long time of suffering. The Holy Spirit has come, a comforter. Yes, in time of suffering, but also that we might be like Christ. So Jesus shared with them. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And it's very, very clear. And I think even in, uh, well, it's, it's very, very clear that Jesus was under the authority of his Father. He came in joyful submission. He did only the things that pleased him. He spoke only the words that he gave him. He even says here, The word which you hear is not mine, it's the Father's which sent me. And as he was sent, he experienced power. He wasn't alone. Because the Father was with him. And we go a little further in the book of John, he can say, As the Father sent me, so send I you. And as he sends, he's still right there with us through the Holy Spirit. But it requires that we have his word, that we have his commands, and that we keep him. It's just a part of abiding in Christ. There is no abiding in Christ outside of having his commandments. And I realize that it can be confusing sometimes. There's a lot of people that, that confess beautiful experiences with God. And, and I don't know. I'm not, I'm not God. I don't know all those experiences. I don't know how legitimate they all are. But the Lord's given us eyes to see. He's given us uh, a mind to understand his word. And what we read here is that any experience of communion with God outside of obedience to the plain revealed commands of our Lord Jesus is not an experience that's scriptural. And so we need to take heed. When Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount, we need to, we need to believe it, we need to obey it. When he spoke to his disciples and you know, revealed things to them, and, and the, the apostles and those prophets in the New Testament spoke and, and left words for us, the commands of the Lord, and he expects us to obey them. There's just no way around it. And, and they're not intended to discourage us. They're not intended to be uh, something to try to skirt around or minimize. It's our, it can be our joy and our glory and our blessing. God didn't give the law to the people of Israel to trip them up so much as he said to them. The chapter before he gave them the law on Sinai, he said, Your kingdom of priests to me, you're going to even kill your treasure. You're going to keep my word, and the nations are going to know, and they're going to see something's very, very different. I didn't choose you because you're a great people. Because you're extra wise, you're extra strong. And it was their blessing to have the oracles of God. And it really hasn't changed. That it is a blessing. Because he said this, he said, the world's not going to be able to receive me. He says, they're not going to be able to see me. They're not, I'm not manifest to them. And Judas said, well, how in the world does that work? How are we going to see you and the world's not going to see you? How can you be manifest to us and not to the world? And I would say, I believe, that if Christ is going to be manifest to the world, it's the same way that God was going to be manifest in the Old Testament, they were going to know, the nations were going to know, because here was a people who had their Lord's word, and who kept it, and experienced it, and expressed it. 
and it's still our joy, it's our privilege, that if the world's going to know, it's going to know because we have his word. His spirit is here, and love dwells here, and all men will know who see it. This is the only way that God's going to be manifest in this world is through his body. I shouldn't say that. That's, that's probably an overstatement. God's is going to be manifest in this world primarily through his body. It says in Ephesians, the fullness of God that fills all in all is his body. And so, it's our privilege, it's not our burden, it's our delight, it's not a sticking point. But it's serious to God, it was serious to Christ. In his last words, there's no way that we can have what he wants us to have, be what he wants us to be, abide in him and he in us, if we let the commandments sit over on the corner, over on the side. So he says, if you love me, you keep my commands, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you, the Spirit of truth. And so we, we read a lot of things about the Holy Spirit. He is a Spirit of truth. He guides us into all truth, and we need it. And then the beautiful things... Yes, the Holy Spirit. He abides the individual born of God, washed in the blood, indwelled by the Holy Spirit. But there's also a picture in the New Testament of the, this temple indwelled the Holy Spirit, and it's the church. It's, it's being formed, it's built up, a habitation for the Spirit, for God. The Spirit's been given in some measure, and I guess as, as it's used in Scripture, my understanding, and, and I do hope you brothers correct me, is in a sense, we, my wife will take the measuring cup and she'll measure a certain amount of flour into the bowl when she's cooking or baking. And, and, and there's a limit. She doesn't just take the whole bag and dump it in. It's measured out. We know that the Lord had the Spirit without measure, and to each in the body, the Spirit is given by gift, with measure. And as that's measured together, the Lord knows how to measure it out. Through the Spirit, a building up, a flowing, the life of Christ begins to emerge. Now, I like to think of it as, and I never can describe it well, but there's a, maybe a mosaic puzzle. And each of those tiles a picture. You look closely and, and you see an individual and you see something beautiful and it's good and it's a blessing and it's holy, but you step back and you see the blend. Yes, it's individuals, but gathered together, the Holy Spirit at work in each one. We have a picture for the world. The manifold wisdom of God revealed even to the principalities in heavenly places. The church. Fullness of God. The habitation of the Spirit. I believe that's where the Lord wants, wants to take his people. That the world may know that he may be manifest there, though not directly. And though we in weakness show that, that's the desire of the Lord. It's the desire of the Lord. So he speaks to them. He says, the comfort is come, coming. And he said, in fact, I want you to rejoice in that. You should first of all be grateful because I go to my Father. And if you really love me, and you could know what that reunion is going to be like, you would rejoice. And if you knew what power was going to come, 
And if you knew what Pentecost was going to be like, this would not be such a sad thing. Because what they experienced later this evening is not impressive. The Lord was there, and they forsook him and fled. The Lord was there, and he was in the next room over, and Peter said, I don't know who he is. The Lord was there, and there was no courage. So they walked as men walk. And they received him up to heaven. They saw him go. They stood, and they watched until he passed out of sight. The angel said, you go back and you wait for the promise of the Father. And it was a very, very different set of men who exited that upper room. Not this night that Jesus is speaking here. But it must have been late morning or something like that, about 40-some days afterward. It was a very different set of men who came out and who could preach the word with boldness who baptized, who broke bread from house to house, <clears throat> who gathered believers together in the church. And so it's our opportunity today. We can't say, well, if the Lord was here, yes. It's easy right now for the most of us. The Lord's here, and so are his brothers and sisters. The Lord's here, and, and, and we trust that, that in the united prayer, Satan's been pushed at least to the margins and, and beyond. But the Lord's with us this week. And the frustrations that come, and the things that go wrong, and the times that we're low, and the times that there's pride, and he has to speak to humble us. The Lord's with us. We walk before him. And he said that as he comes through the Holy Spirit, that he comes to make his home with us, this abode. And he says it this way, In that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I'm in you. I don't know how to quite explain that. I know that the Lord Jesus, when he entered the world, I guess if he's like one of our children, he's about eight pounds, about 20 inches long, and how can you put all of that glory and all of that power in such a small package? And he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to abide in you. And there's going to be life there. Yeah, I was encouraged this year in, in hearing somebody preach on the Holy Spirit. He said, there's only one reason the Holy Spirit comes. He's only going to come if we really have a desire to be like Christ. He's not here. I'll just be honest. He's not here so that he can fill these pews every so that's That's really not his, his chief aim. So that there's 75, 80, 100 people in this building next Sunday or in two years or in five years. That's really not his heart so much. And the Holy Spirit is not coming to build one of our ministries so that we look good, so that we can do some pretty impressive things. It's not that the world may know something about us, but it's if we want to be like Christ, if we're really ready to humble ourselves, if we're ready to break our hearts, 
she's here to help us live like Christ lived. The Holy Spirit's here for that person that you, uh, to help you, that, that person you work with, or that uh, neighbor lady, and, and they have questions, and they, they have burdens on their heart. Um, the, the, the Holy Spirit's here when there's someone who has it in for you, and they have words, and they'd like to get you riled up. The Holy Spirit is, is here, so that when we feel like elevating ourselves, we know the right way to go is the path down in humility and lowliness of mind. The Holy Spirit's here so that we respond like Christ. So that that witness is here in this world. Not the witness of men, but the witness of God. He goes on to say, not only that we will make our abode with him, but he that loves me not keeps my saying. These words are the Father's, and the Comforter is going to keep on teaching us all things. He's going to keep on teaching us all things and bringing them to our remembrance, whatever he has spoken. I think it's a beautiful thing to take the scriptures in hand and to read them and to commit them to memory. But we read here that he's going to teach them. He will bring them to remembrance. I know that it was some years ago I thought, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to commit this significant portion of Scripture. I'm going to, I'm going to commit it to memory. You know, I've done a few other poor passion, uh, pass, passages since then, sorry. And honestly, if you said, well, what was that that you, you, you remembered? Could I just get up here and say before, I, I'm pretty sure it would be a really, really poor rendition. But I, I can remember one time, and we had memorized scripture together as a family, and we were in a time that was very low, and we'd had some heartbreak, and I had been able to pray a little bit, but it, my mind was numb, my mind was blank, my mind was empty. And the brother came to my wife and I, in this particular moment, he put his arms around us. He held us close. And began to speak the words of Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O Lord, attend unto my prayer. And, and I don't know that we had shared Psalm 61 together for a few years. It was not in my mind. If you had said this morning, if you had said Psalm 61, I want to hear it. I would have had very, very little. I don't know that I could have given you the first words. But at that moment with that brother beginning. So those words were brought, planted in the heart, brought to our remembrance. And I realize that that's a little bit different than what he's speaking here, but the very teachings of Christ, the example of Christ brought to our remembrance in the moment and before our face, the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, he's a comfort in the sense that when there's tragedy and when there's trial, there can be peace. Yes, it's a comfort to know that in suffering there's hope and there are promises. But is it a great comfort to you this morning to know that in the everyday, the ordinary, you are not alone, the life of Christ before you. The words of Jesus brought to your memory you in Christ, he in you, 
work to do in this world? Yes, there is. The Lord working with us, carrying it forth. And finally, he says, the peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. And I don't know about this, but there's a peace of Christ that is different. The world can give peace, and that means no trouble. The peace of this world means right now it's an okay situation. The peace of this world might have been Job before the devil came and said, yeah, this hedge, that's why. The peace of this world is that I'm, things are going pretty well to suit me. I think I know how to manage this. I've done this situation before. And I'm speaking to myself here. This, that's the peace of this world. Often it's the peace that we try to manage and eke out of life. We organize life uh, to try to create this order so that I'm not in any situation that I'm confused on, so there's no dilemma I'm going to have to face so that I don't hit bumps in my road. And so I have my bank account, I have my schedule. I've got my work situation. And, I, and I've got it all covered, and I have everything figured out. That's not the peace that the Lord gives. And what did the Lord say a few chapters later? They said, well, what, tell us about the peace. He says, you can't handle it now. If I told you now what's going to happen, you couldn't handle it. He said, but you will know. No, in John 16, he says, hereafter. So, I think that is the peace that the Lord gives. We don't have to know. We don't have to be so skilled. We don't have to have it all managed in our hands. The peace that the Holy Spirit brings is the life of Christ is here. The comfort has come. The promise of the Father is with us. And we don't have to fight. We don't have to figure it all out. We don't have to have an answer for every situation. There is a rest. But not the rest of the self-confidence. There's a rest to know that God not only can do, he will do. There's the power of this peace. The heart's not troubled. From the disciples, it was when, he, when Christ was going away. The heart's not troubled. When we know, when we make the choice, we know it's the peace of God, the clear will of God, and we know there's opposition. We know that it's the peace that comes from God when there's a clear path before us. This is what the Lord calls us to. There's, there's, there, there's those that will talk. And we know it's the will of God. But we don't know how it's going to end. That's the peace that he brings. That's the peace that he leaves. It's not the peace that the world gives because in the, what the world gives, it will take. This peace does not have to be taken. It does not have to be shaken. It's simply the Lord hath spoken. And the Holy Spirit, that comforter, gives us an assurance that when we obey, we can commit it to the Lord. When we, when we walk in our own way, how can we commit that? I can't commit that to God. The Lord Jesus could commit himself in, in 1 Peter 2 to him that judges righteously. And if I'm going to walk my own way, I don't know that I'm ready to commit myself to one that judges righteously because he knows my heart. 
But if we are going to choose the way of the Lord, we can commit ourselves. That's the peace that he gives. And he says, and you have heard I have said it, I go away, and I come again. I go to the Father. And he said, Father, I will not talk with you much. The prince of this world comes and has nothing in me. I don't know that I understand that. But as the Lord Jesus is going to offer himself up, there's nothing in the Lord Jesus the devil could claim and say, I have authority, I have power. It says, uh, I think it's in Psalm 16 that uh, some of the bands of death are loose. It, it simply, we, we say it this way often, the grave couldn't contain it, couldn't hold him. The devil had nothing in him. And I don't know what you're going to go out and face this week. I don't know what I'm going to go out and face this week. Can we go with the confidence? The comforter has come. He has given us peace. And then the devil is here to poke and to prod and to do all sorts of things. You know, the devil could take all of Job's stuff. It could very well have been said that he has nothing in me. I fear God, I eschew evil of an upright heart. And yeah, he was shaken, and he got shook really, really, really bad. He got shook really, really, really hard. By the time it was all over, devil had nothing. Devil had nothing. Devil could take his cattle. And he can take our stuff. He can take our health. But does he have anything? And he had nothing in the Lord Jesus. And he said, I go forward, the world may know that the world may know. And brothers, they would go forth with that hope, sisters with that joy. The devil doesn't have to have anything in us. But that the world may know he sent the promise of the Father. The Comforter has come. We may abide in him. He's given us commands. By the love that we have, they will know. They don't need to know much about us, but that they may know the Father and the Son whom he has sent. May the Lord bless all of us as we go forth.